I want to invite you to stay standing for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be in Exodus 33 this morning, and we're going to look at the whole story, but I just want to read kind of three verses that we're going to hone in on together out of Exodus chapter 33. We're going to start in verse 14. This is the Word of the Lord. It says, the Lord... Oh, man, that's embarrassing. (laughs) What you just witnessed is what we call humility. (laughs) And puberty, apparently. Let's just take communion and leave. <laughs> Seriously, that's like really embarrassing. I know I'm laughing about it, but like I'm, we're having like such a great spiritual moment. And the devil ruined it. <laughs> or maybe he made it better. I don't know. Um, we're going to start in verse 14. I'm going to try to sound more spiritual and more manly here. Here we go. <clears throat> verse 14 says, the Lord replied. <laughs> Now, here we go, here we go. Let's get serious. We're, we're at church. Let's be serious, okay? The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And I love God's response to Moses here, verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. The Lord said to Moses, I'll do the very thing that you've asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. I want to invite you to grab a seat. That is the word of the Lord out of Exodus chapter 33. Now, As I've been reading through the story of Exodus over the last several weeks and as we've been in this journey together as a church family, I've, I've been struck by this like deep desire that I think is so deep in every human heart. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, rich or poor, white or black. It doesn't matter if you're male or female, married or single. Uh, I think deep within every human heart is this, this longing, this desire that our lives would have an impact on the lives of the people that are around us. And, and for all of this, for all of us, this, this longing to, to make an impact looks different. I was talking to a friend of mine who recently, he said, Dave, the longing of my heart is that I would be most famous in my home. And I loved that. He said, this is what I'm after. He says, this is the impact that I want to leave is that the people who know me best respect me most. That the people who see me when I'm at my worst would, would understand what it is that God is doing in me. And what my friend was talking about that day was he was talking about this, this longing to, to leave an impact. He's like, I have one life. And I only get one spouse and one set of kids and one, one career. He's like, I want to leave an impact on those that are uh, around me. Or I think about some of the people that are in our church that are doing really amazing things. Think about my friend Deanna, who is working so hard to bring about a cure for cancer in this lifetime. I don't know if you know that someone in our church is like giving their life to that. It's an amazing thing. I go deep within the core of who she is, she's longing to, to make an impact. I think about so many of you that are educators, that week in and week out, you're, you're teaching kids, most of whom are not grateful. Like, you know, you don't typically end a school day with them hugging your neck saying, thank you for being underpaid and overworked. Like, that's, that's not the way that, that your life goes, is it? But you, you want to make an impact. Or think about some of you that are artists, and God has given you this just, like, unbelievable gift of music or of writing 
or of painting or of sculpting or whatever it is, and you know that God has put this beautiful thing in you that you want to share with those around you because what you long for is impact. Like you want your life to matter. You want your life to make a difference, right? And I think that this is a longing, that this is something that God has put deep within you. It's it's what Ephesians chapter 2 talks about is that you've been created in Christ Jesus, And that God has prepared amazing things in advance for you to be a part of. I don't know if you've thought about this very often. But you realize that the Lord has a destiny that's waiting upon you. That God has something out there, or as Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 would say, is that we, we worship a God who is a God of immeasurably more. Immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine. What is it that God wants to do with Bob and Karen? Immeasurably more than whatever you could ask or imagine. Whatever, what is it that God wants to do with you, Jason? Whatever it is, it's immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine. We could go on and go on and go on and go on, right? That there's this longing deep within the human spirit to make an impact. And I think that longing was put there by God. And so, so many of us, we end up spending our whole life chasing at least in our minds, and at least from our perspective, we end up chasing the things that we believe will bring about the greatest impact. We may never say it that way, but so often the way we rearrange our finances and our time and our energy is after the pursuit of impact. And here's what I love about Exodus chapter 33. Exodus 33 gives us kind of the behind the scenes moment in the life of a guy that God would use to not just impact his family or his generations, but would use to impact the generations. I mean, generations are still being impacted by the life of this guy named Moses that we've been looking at for the last six or seven weeks together. And I love Exodus 33 gives us just a window into why it is that he had the impact that he did. But I love it because Exodus 33 is not a passage that we're supposed to step back and just observe. It's a passage that we're supposed to step into. It's actually an invitation. And that the window that we get into the life of this guy is not just a window, but it's an invitation for us to examine our lives and for us to step into what it is that God has made us for. And so here's the cliff notes if you're just joining us. We've been on this journey together And to be overly simple, I want to break the book of Exodus into two big movements. Chapter 1 through 14, we talked about this last week. Chapters 1 through 14 are all about God getting the people out of slavery. And then you get into Exodus 15 and beyond, and it's no longer about God getting them out. It's about God growing them up. That God has gotten them out of slavery. He's gotten them out of bondage, and now he's trying to grow them up into the things that he has prepared for them. And this is what we looked at last week. We looked at how God used an unexpected place called the desert, the unconventional provision of manna and water uh, to take care of them, and the uncompromising parameters of his word or his law, the Ten Commandments, around their life to set them free. And we, t- we talked about how God had gotten them out, and now he is like growing them up into this calling that he has in their life. But if you kept reading the story, and hopefully you did, you get to Exodus chapter 32. It's the chapter right before the one that we're going to look at this morning. And these people that God had gotten out, and these people that God was growing up, really screwed things up. There's this famous story in Exodus chapter 32 where Moses has been on the mountain for 40 days and the people lose sight of who it is that God had made them to be. And it says that they make a golden calf and they begin to worship a false god and they turn their hearts away from the Lord. 
And it's this kind of shocking twist in the story. It's almost this moment where you go, after all you've seen, like, really? That's what you're going to do? And they come to this place of real heartbreak. It's a real low point in the story. And Exodus 33 is the conversation that happens between God and Moses right after the people had failed the Lord in ways that they never would have imagined. And I wish we had time to, to look through the whole story this morning. But I want to give you kind of the big picture, and then we're going to hone in on those verses that we read together. And so if you take notes, I want, I want to just kind of give you three declarations that are going to frame up our conversation this morning. Because in Exodus chapter 33, God makes three declarations towards the people. And the first one is a declaration that you see in verses 1 through 3, where God looks at the people in the midst of their failure, and this is what he says to them. He says, I am going to keep my promise to you. Look at this in verse 1. He says, I want you to leave this place. You and the people that you brought out of Egypt, and I want you to go to the land that I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying that I will give this to your descendants. And so this is what we talked about our first week when we were in Exodus chapter 1, is that these people were not living an accidental life, that these people were in the crosshairs of God's destiny for them. That God had made a promise to their, to their great, great ancestor Abraham, and this is what he had said. He said, I love you. I want to use you to bless the nations. And here's my promise to you. He says, I'm going to give you a piece of property. I'm going to give you my protection. I'm going to give you peace with the other nations that are around you. And I'm going to provide for you in ways that you could never imagine. He says, you're going to live in houses you didn't build. You're going to eat foods you didn't grow. You're going to experience the provision of God in ways that you could never imagine. And for hundreds of years, the people had been waiting on God to fulfill this promise. In fact, if you grew up in church, you've heard about this promise, just kind of in the shorthand, we call it the promised land, right? Because it was the place upon which God had promised they would go. And so the people had just rebelled. And I want you to hear this declaration that God makes. It's so important. In the midst of their failure, what does God remind them? In the midst of their failure, he reminds them that his promises are connected to his faithfulness, not theirs. And he looks at them and he says, hey, I'm going to keep my promise. He says, I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to give you what it is that I told you to give you. But there's a second declaration that he makes in verses 5 through 11. And it's a declaration that he's not just going to give them the promise, but that he's also going to let them keep their leader. And so if you've been tracking in the story with us up until this point, God has used this guy named Moses, this really ordinary guy. And he's used Moses as this agent of deliverance in their life. And in so many ways, Moses has become their proverbial safety blanket. Think about my youngest son, Judah. If you've ever seen Judah walking around the cannery, he's at it here this morning. He's almost two years old. Judah carries this disgusting blanket with him everywhere he goes. He's like Linus from Charlie Brown. Like when he has that blanket, he feels secure and safe. In fact, like when he's leaving the house, he will say goodbye to his blanket as though it's a human because that blanket comforts him. And in so many ways, Moses had become the safety blanket of the Israelite people. In fact, in Exodus chapter 19, they, they're terrified of God. They hear the voice of the Lord, the people do. And they say, hey, we don't know if we can be in relationship with a God that's that good, a God that, that is that holy. And so the people make this crazy declaration. They say, hey, Moses, from now on, you go talk to God and you come back and tell us what he thinks. And you see this glimpse about halfway through their story where the people decide that they're going to outsource their relationship with God in hopes that they could still get the same outcome. They're going to outsource their intimacy with God to Moses. And so Moses becomes their leader. And I want you to notice what God says to them kind of in the second part of this chapter. 
He says, I'm not just going to give you the promise. He says, I'm also going to let you hold on to your leader. He says, Moses, you can still go with them. You can still lead them. And it's the second declaration that God makes. But the third declaration is going to be the one that's going to get their attention. I want you to look at this with me. Jump back to verses 2 and 3 of Exodus 33. This is the third declaration. God says, I will send an angel before you and I'll drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. It's a mouthful right there. Those are real people. Verse three, he says, and I want you to go up to the land that is flowing with milk and honey. This is the declaration, the third declaration that God makes. He says, but I will not go with you because you're a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you along the way. Now, this is not an image of God that we like to hold on to. This is not an image of God that we put on t-shirts or on coffee mugs to start our quiet time in the morning. This is not the image of God that we like to frame up and hang on our walls. This is a picture of God. And God looks and he says, listen, if you don't want to be with me, I will give you exactly what you want. I think sometimes God gets a bad rap for the things that our hearts are prone to chase. I believe hell is nothing more and nothing less than God eventually giving people what they really wanted. And that is total freedom from himself. And there's this moment where God looks at the people and he says, I will give you the promise and I will give you your leader. You can have your worship services. He says, but I'm not gonna go with you. And as soon as they hear this third declaration, both the people and Moses respond. And this is one of the, the few moments where the people of Israel, they're seen in this really amazing light. Because I want you to notice the way they respond. Look at verse four with me. It says, when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn. They began to mourn when they realized that they could have the promise and they could have their leader, but they couldn't have the presence of the Lord. It says they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. It's kind of the writer's way of saying, no one got up and took a shower, no one got dressed, no one put on any makeup, uh, no one did any work when they got up that day because they just realized if God wasn't gonna be with them, life wasn't gonna be worth living. And this really struck me this week and I, and I want you to just think about this for a second. If God gave you everything you wanted, if you had the house and if you had the job and if you had the, the physical health and the financial security, if you had the sexual fulfillment, if you had the praise and the adoration of all the people around you, if God gave you everything you wanted except for himself, how would you feel? Would you even notice? See, I've often wondered... If God were to withdraw his presence from the American church, would we even notice? You know, there's that scene in the book of Judges where it says the presence of the Lord left Samson, but he did not realize it. And God says, I'll give you everything you want, but I'm not going. And it says the people begin to mourn. But this is where I want us to dig in this morning. I love Moses' response. He gets on his knees and he starts to pray, and he just starts pleading with the Lord, and you and I are getting ready to get a window into the life of this guy that would end up impacting not just his family or his generation, but the generations to come. And he begins pleading with the Lord, and he's saying, Lord, you've told me I'm going to go into the land. I don't know who's going to go with me. God, I need you to be with us. 
And I want you to notice the way that God responds to Moses. Look at this in verse 14. It says, the Lord replied to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. But then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here. Now let's just pause for a second. Doesn't it sound like Moses just kind of tuned God out for a second and asked for the thing that God just promised? It's almost like God was treating, it's almost like Moses was treating God the way that I sometimes accidentally treat Sydney will be in the kitchen and she'll be telling me something and I like zone it out and then I'll ask her for the thing she just told me about. She's like, what's wrong with you? Some of you have never experienced that, but I'm a terrible listener. And it almost sounds like that's what's happening here. God says, my presence is going to go with you. I'm going to give you rest. And Moses turns around and says, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us. But I want you to notice what he's saying here. God looks at Moses and says, the people have rebelled. And this is what he tells Moses. He says, my presence will go with you, singular. My rest will be upon you, singular. God looks at Moses and says, listen, I'm not going to go with the people, but I'll be with you. I'm not going to bless the people, but I'll bless you. I'm not going to walk in friendship with the people, but I will be with you. And I love Moses' response. He says, Father, he says, Lord, come on. I don't just need you to be with me. He said, I need you to be with us. I don't just need you leading me. I need you leading us. And look at how he goes on. This is so, so important here. In verse 16, he says, because how would anyone else know that you're pleased with me and your people? Unless you go with us, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? I love this. Moses says, God, what makes us distinct is not our buildings, it's not our worship services, it's not our sacrifices. He says, what makes us distinct, it's not even our behavior, it's that you're with us, Lord. It's that the nations, when they look at us, they go, man, what's different about that group of people is not that they wake up early on Sunday morning. It's not that they refrain from some of the behavior that everyone else does. He says, the thing that marks the people is the undeniable presence of God. So when people look at Israel, they go, man, they're friends with God. They're friends with the Lord. They've been wrestling with this. And when people look at us, is this the distinguishing mark of God's people today? Like when people look at ethos, when people look at your life, do they go, man, They've got a lot wrong. <laughs> There's just a bunch of screw-ups. But man, the presence and the friendship of God is with them. And Moses says, God, we don't need the promised land and we don't need, we don't need a better leader. And we don't need all the blessings. What we need is your undeniable presence. And I love the way that God responds in verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you've asked because I'm pleased with you, and I know you by name. Now, this is such a huge moment. Look back at verse 17. God has just declared. God has just declared. He says, I'll give you the promise, and I'll let you have your leader, but I'm not going with you. That was the declaration. And Moses is not satisfied with the declaration. And he gets on his knees, and he begins to pray, and the prayer life of Moses begins to move the Father heart of God. 
The prayer life of Moses is not going to just bring down blessings for his life and his family. The prayer life of Moses is going to open the door for the generation and the generations and the next generations to come to know God in brand new ways. That here in the presence of the Lord, Moses is opening a pathway to the future that every one of his friends and his family members and his children were made for. And most of them had no clue what was happening. I love what God says here. God says, because of my pleasure with you, because I know you, I will bless them. Because I love you, I will bless her. Because I love you, I will bless him. Because I love you, I will bless those around you. And all of a sudden, the people of Israel, they're going to find themselves in the impact zone of Moses' friendship with God. And I love this because this is what struck me all week as I was thinking about this. Never even really noticed this in the story before. Is that here you have, have Moses, this guy that arguably impacted outside of Jesus Christ, arguably impacted in human history, maybe more so than anybody else. He's the guy that wrote the first five books of the Old Testament that you're holding in your hands this morning. A set of sacred scriptures that are used by Christians, Protestant, Catholic, used by the Jewish people. One of the most widely read authors in human history is Moses. I don't know if you think of that when you think of him. He wasn't just a widely read author, but he was one of the most successful abolitionists in the history of humanity. He freed millions and millions of people into their destiny. But it's here in Exodus chapter 33 where you and I get a behind-the-scenes look into his, into his impact. And you realize that, that, that what brought about the change and the blessing in the lives of those around him, it was not Moses' strategy or his leadership or his speaking ability or his organizational skills. The thing that impacted the generation around him was his intimacy with God. And I want to give you the whole sermon in one sentence right here. Whole sermon in one sentence. That the impact of Moses' life was the result of his intimacy with God. Impact was his fruit. Intimacy was his root. Impact was the outcome. Intimacy Intimacy is where it all started. And what I love about Moses is never once do we see him chasing impact. In fact, in Exodus chapter 33, God shows up to Moses and he says to him, hey, I want to use you. I've heard the cries of the people. I don't want to use you. And you remember what Moses says to God? He says, I think you dialed the wrong number, Lord. Like, I'm not your guy. And Moses begins talking to him and says, hey, surely not me. You can't use me. And the Lord looks at Moses and says, son, I'm everything that you're not. And you just stick with me. You just come with me. And what you begin to see is everything that came out of his life started in the place where no one else was looking. Everything that came into his family, everything that came into his generation was the result of him chasing intimacy, not chasing impact. Intimacy was the root And impact just became the natural fruit of his life. One of my favorite quotes is uh, by a guy named Dave Ramsey. You've probably heard of him. This quote has nothing to do with Exodus chapter 33 in some ways. And in other ways, it has everything to do with how you get to Exodus 33. Because Dave Ramsey will always use this phrase. He'll say, if you want to live as no one else is living, 
then you have to start living as no one else is willing to live. He says, if you want to eventually get to that place where you live as no one else is living, where you are free from debt, where you're free from some of the fears and the constraints that come with financial difficulty, he says, if you want to get to that place where you're living as no one else is living, he says, then right now, you've got to start living as nobody else is living. You've got to buy a cheaper car. You've got to wear some older clothes. He says, you've got to cut up the credit cards. And maybe you've heard the story. You know, he'll, he'll tell you, he's like, you've got to live a different way now if you want to live a different way. And I've never, ever met a Christian who says, you know what? I'm not interested in intimacy with God. But I've met a lot of Christians that don't walk in intimacy with God. And the truth is, if we want to live with God as no one else is living with God, that you have to start living right now as no one else is living. You have to start making some choices it sometimes feel hard, and you have to make some choices that sometimes feel unpopular. Because if you want your life to have an eternal impact, it starts in a place of eternal intimacy. And that right now, you and I can begin building that with the Lord. I'm convinced that the blessings of heaven touch the people of earth through the lives of God's friends. That the greatest contribution you can make to the people around you is to develop a genuine friendship with the living God. That God doesn't need you to be great. That God doesn't need you to change the world. God wants you to know his heart. That God wants you to be in friendship with him. And where there is intimacy with God, there is always impact on the lives of those around us, even if you never see this. Think about some of the people that have had the greatest impact in the kingdom of God and what I've found is every time you get closer to them, you see less and less of their impact and what you discover is more and more of their intimacy. I think about several years ago being in India and I'm there in the bedroom that Mother Teresa slept in for all of those years. And I think about this woman who is so known for her global impact. But when you get close to where it all started and when you read the stories and when you talk to the people whose lives were touched by her, you realize that the, the greatest impact of Mother Teresa's life didn't come because she pursued impact, it came because she had intimacy. That when no one else was looking, that she was willing to get on her knees before the Lord. She was willing to open her heart to who he was and God used her in ways that she never could have imagined. I think about one of my friends who is leading, I think it's the second or third largest church in the Western Hemisphere, just this monstrously huge church. And every time people talk about him, they think about his impact. But the closer I get to him, the thing that I'm impressed with is his intimacy. That we'll be together and it will be a Thursday night and everyone's getting ready to go out for a movie and he goes to bed early because he knows every morning he has a date with the Lord, just he and God. And when the blinds are still shut and the sun is still sleeping, he is before the Lord. And when people see my friend, they always think of his impact. But those of us that know him, what we are impressed by is his intimacy. Because his intimacy is just the outworking of it. Or I think about uh, a couple that Sydney and I uh, befriended a few years ago. And Lord's used them in amazing ways. We've planted 12,000 churches in the 1040 window. I don't know if you're good at math, but 12,000 is a lot. Like they have done some amazing things. Huge impact. 
They help feed nearly a million orphans a year. Huge impact. But when we got with them, we said, tell us about your story. And do you know what they started telling us about? They said, 30 years ago, we just made the decision that every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. until 9 p.m., our family would be praying. We said, what did you do with your kids? They're like, we, let, we taught them how to pray. <laughs> they were running around our living room and we were trying to, and they said, but we couldn't take a break from intimacy with God to raise young kids. And remember, we went there to meet with this couple because of the impact they've had. But we walked away being impacted by their intimacy. And I love this scene where the heart of Moses is going to ignite the heart of God. And when the heart of God is ignited for a generation, everything changes. I've been wrestling with this all week because the beauty of the story, and I want you to hear this clearly, is that Moses is not the hero of this story. Like, can you just shake your heads and understand like Moses is not the hero? In fact, spoiler alert, we're gonna see this in a couple of weeks. Moses is gonna screw this thing up. He's gonna fail. Moses is gonna come up short of what God had made him for. And it's going to create this longing in us to keep going in the scriptures to find the real hero, the real person that can lead us into the promised land, the real person that can get us out of slavery, the real person that can grow us up into what it is that God has made us for. And this is what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 3. He reminds us that Jesus is everything that Moses failed to be. Is that where Moses declared in Exodus chapter 32 that, Lord, if you have to blot me out of your book of life to write them in, then blot me out so you can write them in. The New Testament reminds us that Jesus went through with the thing that Moses only dreamt of. And that Jesus was willing to be blotted out to deal with your sin so that you could forever have intimacy with God. That Jesus would not come up short of the destiny that God had for him. And that Jesus never fails to bring to completion that which he starts in us. And that the person God gets out, Jesus grows up. And so we talked about last week. And I go, and the reason we can have intimacy with the Lord, I want you to hear this so clearly. The reason we can have what Moses has, this face-to-face friendship with God, is because of the grace of Jesus and the grit of God's people that are willing to step into what God has put on the table. Intimacy always starts in the place of grace, that God has opened a door, that God has done something great, that God has forgiven our sins and has welcomed us in in Christ Jesus. If you ever encounter someone that knows God, it's because they understand grace. But I want you to hear this. Grace is on the table for everyone, but not everyone steps into it. And that where there is grace, there must also be some grit or there must also be some discipline. There must also be this sense of, okay, God, we want to step into the life. We want to step into the things that you made us for. And that it is possible to be loved by God and to be lazy in your faith. Because you being lazy doesn't negate God's love for you. But it is impossible to know God intimately and be lazy in your faith. that at some point we have to start stepping into that which God has so freely offered. Does that make sense? And then if we want our lives to have the impact that they were designed to have, it starts as we cultivate intimacy with Jesus. I just want to ask you a question this morning as you really think about your life. What is it 
that you were truly chasing after more than anything else? What is it that you're chasing? What is it that you're giving your time and your energy and your thought life to? What is it that you are arranging your finances around? What is it that keeps you up at night? Is it intimacy with the Lord? Or is it anything else? I want to challenge you this week. I want to challenge you to just take one step, one step towards intimacy with the Lord. Some of you right now, I've been talking about this all morning, some of you, you know what God's calling you to do. For some of you, you know the Lord's been just putting it on you. Get up earlier, get in the Word, open the Scripture. Some of you, you're being called into a season of fasting. There's some of you, as soon as we started talking about intimacy, you knew what God is putting on your heart. And I just want to challenge you, if you know what God is inviting you to do, just do what He's asked you to do. But there are a lot of you in here, and you probably have no clue where to start. And you're like, I want intimacy, and I don't have any idea where to begin. I just want to give you something really simple to try this week, okay? I'm a simple guy. I like things that are simple. There's a book here that I've literally given this book away to hundreds of people. It's a book by James Bryant Smith. Um, Raise your hand if you've read this. It's called The Good and Beautiful God. Um, So a few of you have read this book. Um, My favorite thing about this book is the subtitle, or one of my favorite things is the subtitle. The subtitle of this book is Falling in Love with the God that Jesus Knows. Learning to fall in love with the God that Jesus knows. This is the great pursuit of the human heart. In fact, every, every night, every night before my boys go to bed, I always ask them, hey, what's the purpose of your life? And they'll say this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to love him always. Oh, boys, every night, what's the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and love him always. This is, this is what you're made for, to love the Lord and to know him. And a lot of people don't have a clue where to start. Uh, this book, for whatever reason, this book is not the Bible. But this book does unlock your heart for the God of the Bible. And I just want to encourage you to, to, you can get this on Amazon. I don't get any royalties. I didn't write it. Um, So I'm just recommending this out of a good heart for you. But it's designed for you to just pick it up and to read it with a friend one chapter a week and to put into practice what it is that he suggests, just some disciplines for cultivating intimacy with God. Some of you don't have a clue where to start. I want to challenge you. Go online today, buy this book for you and a friend, and just say, hey, let's start chasing after what God's put on the table for us. Um, I'm just curious, does somebody want this book? Anybody want to cultivate here? Yeah, you can have this book. Here you go. It's just a gift to you. Um, yeah, yeah, read it. If you don't like it, give it back or give it to somebody else, seriously. So, yeah, um, uh, get it. Try it. Just take a step. Trying something with the Lord is better than just thinking about it and doing nothing. I want you to just take a simple step. Here's what I want to end this morning as we think about uh, intimacy. I want to just invite you to stand with me right now. Let's stand. I'm going to pray over us. And with your eyes closed, I just want to invite you to just, uh, we don't do this a whole lot here, but I just want to invite you to raise your hand if you know that you're, la- you're lacking intimacy with God and you want more intimacy with Him. I just want to invite you to just raise your hand before the Lord. I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over you um, for having the courage to even just raise your hand. Father, we love you, and we are standing here this morning before you, drenched in, wrapped up in, surrounded by the grace of Jesus. And it is because of Christ that we can even dare come before you this way. Father, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Holy Spirit, I love you.
And I just ask that this week in the lives of those that have raised their hand, that this week, that Lord, you would touch their lives, that Lord, you would give them not just a desire for more intimacy with you, but that you would give them the discipline to just take one step. That Father, you'd give them one step. If they need to wake up earlier in the morning, that you'd help them wake up earlier in the morning. If they need to get in your word, help them get in your word. Lord, if they need to hear your voice in a fresh way, Lord, help them to hear your voice. Father, would you give them what their hearts would long for? Father, as a church family, would you help for us to, to radically and ferociously chase intimacy with you and to leave the impact of our lives in your hand? Father, I pray that you would give us a hunger for you And that we would realize that if we have the promises and if we have the leadership and if we have all the worship services but we don't have you, that Lord, we have nothing. God, give us a hunger for more of your presence. Even right now as we worship and as we take communion, as we confess our sins, as we give our lives to you and as we give our lives to one another, Father, would you open us up to who you are and what it is that you're doing? Lord, I pray that the thing that would distinguish us from all the people on the earth would be that you are here among us. Father, we invite you into our presence this morning in a new way. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray and give thanks that I believe that you will do something in the lives of these people. And together we say, amen.